Ian, welcome to the UFM podcast. Don't know if you can hear us. Oh, he can hear us. He's on. He's gone on video. Oh, he's got a video. He's got video. I know. You can. He's gone back. So the next step of podcast in Barry. <laughs> yeah, it's the next stage. I, I like, just want to say say right now, this is um this is probably the best intro that you've ever done for your podcast. <laughs> Ian Hazel, welcome to the Ultima Football Network podcast. Um, my two colleagues will now introduce themselves. Go ahead, Sean. Hi, Ian. I'm Sean. Uh, I'm a football scout for Kingsland Town at the moment, um, working in, in the conference level. Um, and just building up my my CV and credentials to to go higher into the game. Yeah, good to good to, to uh, be introduced to you. So, yeah, pleasure. And uh, my name's Tabriz. Uh, I I run the amateur football platform where I talk to grassroots players, managers, coaches, all the way up to the elite side. And uh, a fun fact, um, and and it's absolutely true. I am the best grassroots centre-back you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. There's, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you definitely are that. And um, I'm sure the scouts will, je- will uh, clarify that too. <laughs> right. Ian, my first question for you is, I want to just ask you about your time at Wimbledon when you joined as an apprentice. I think it was... Around in the eighties, and I think mm. you were under Dave Bassett then. What was it like playing and being under that manager? Um, it was a long time ago, being fifty-four now. But um, I was fortunate to to go there as a twelve-year-old kid, and then I signed when I was sort of fourteen, schoolboy terms, and sort of made my way to an apprentice. And then, fortunately, very uh, you know to be involved in in. In the first team as a pro, albeit very difficult. But um, I look back and I think to myself, it was tough. No getting away for it because in the era in the in the 80s, Wimbledon probably had their um, real sort of successful period. Obviously, went on to win the FA Cup, so it was a real tough environment as a as a young lad growing up. But one that thoroughly enjoyed first and foremost, um, and probably sort of set me up for for skills sort of later on in terms of outside of football um sort of definitely sort of toughened you up and you had to be mentally tough um to be around some of the sort of the bigger players if you like but no it, it's an enjoyable time um and when you look back some of the players that we had as well were fantastic and um you know very very successful so what was um, the uh, on, sorry uh, i'm gonna say what was the dressing room like at that time because obviously you had people like fashion there Jonesy yeah, Fash, Vinny, Wisey, um, all sort of big, strong characters. Um, you know, didn't take fools lightly. You know, and as a young lad, sort of growing up, if you get your opportunity, you you know, you had to take it and stand up for yourself a little bit, you know, because they were not only physically really strong, but mentally strong and characters. And, and Wimbledon at that time were physically tough to uh, to play against. And... You know, it was the, the, the 
the period and the, and the era when we were quite direct, if I'm brutally honest, as, as, as a footballing sort of tide, yeah. um, but very effective. And, you know, when you got into that team, you had to sort of fit into that sort of way of thinking and that way of playing. Um, mm. But as I say, you, you know, it was it was very successful. I was only a fringe player, if I'm brutally honest, but with two, two subs in them days, it, it, it was tough. Um, I mean, I was up against Vinny and Sanch, Laurie Sanchez to, to try to get, you know, a yeah. first team, uh, you know, regular spot. So, you know, sort of, uh, it was it was incredibly tough. And when you, when you, at the time you think you're better and you think to yourself, well, I'm technically better, I should be playing. But when you look back and you become a little bit wise and a little bit older, you think, well, I couldn't really argue because, you know, they finished in the top six in, in, in Division One and went on to win the FA Cup. So, yeah. They're not going to take a sort of skinny 18-year-old to put him in centre midfield um, over them two. But my memories of it are fantastic. And I still speak to Harry now and, and Jeff Taylor, who was my youth team manager, um, about all the sort of stories and things that went on in them days that um, most you definitely wouldn't be able to get away with now. But no. thoroughly enjoyable times, to be honest. So, who was your... Who would you say was your best manager you played under um best coach definitely don howe when don howe was at wimbledon without a doubt don howe was absolutely fantastic um and probably jerry francis when i went to bristol rovers jerry was um um, sort of really sort of uh particular in in his way of playing i wouldn't say the training was great because the training was sort of um in them days, a lot of it was pattern of play and shape, etc. It was it was um, continuous, but we went on to win the league. So, again, when you sort of look back, you think, well, we did that for a reason. Um, I mean, you know, at the time, you just think, oh, this is boring. Turn up every Wednesday, every Thursday, doing a pattern of play, defending shape. But results-wise, we, we you know, say so we went on to win the league. So, um, he was a good manager. And then I went to non-league, David Kemp, who... Had a career sort of following Tony Pulis around, really. Um, he was, you know, Kempy was very successful as a manager for me and um, one that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, I would say Bobby Gould, but I didn't really play too many times under Bobby, but although he did give me sort of my debut. Um, but um, but Don Howe was, was the driving force in, in, in my younger days at Wimbledon. Okay. Okay. But I've, I've like got a question for you. Uh, and again, you, you've like had a very extensive uh, management career. Do, do you think, and again, like a lot of people can actually look at that and think, wow, you know what, you've, you've got crazy amounts of you know, experience. Or people can say, well, you know what, maybe he's a bit of a disruptor. Maybe like he had to bounce from job to job to, to like possibly fit in. I mean, yeah, how, uh, I, I wouldn't say that. As such, I mean, I think um, when I look back at it, I mean, I was a player, player coach or player manager at Tooting and Mitcham, so I'm not sure how long I was there. I was there a little while, and then um, there's a lot of reasons in, in non league football, and, and I'm sure you know you might re- relate to some of them, but um, non league chairmen aren't always the most honest of people in terms of <laughs> um, um, some of the things. Elaborate, sort of come on, elaborate. Well, you know, it's, it, listen, I went to, um, I left Tooting and Mitcham and then I went on to Molesey and Wharton and Hersham. I thought we were successful at Wharton and Hersham. We had 17 games unbeaten, but yeah. it's tough because you, 
in non-league football at the time. I mean, it's a little bit more different now because there's a lot of full-time sides about, but you want the players to be looked after. You want them to be um, on board with you, on side with you. And, and little things like wages being given out on a Thursday night and they're a tennis short on a regular basis and little things like that, or late in terms of late payment. And so there was a couple of clubs that I walked away from because I didn't think it was quite right. Um, you know, Molesy and Morton and Hersham back in the day being two. Um, and then Sutton United, I, t- I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Sutton United. It was um, a tough, tough time in terms of being manager because of finances, but had one really good season when we finished mid-table uh, on probably the lowest budget in the league. And then the second season, you know, we struggled. We struggled and after 10 games, I resigned. But if I didn't resign, I would have probably got the sack, if I was brutally honest. But um, So in terms of being um, disruptive, I think it, it, in terms of my managerial career, I think I was a, I always felt I was, because I was an A-licensed coach as well, I felt my knowledge in coaching and playing experiences um, was sort of um, you know gave me an advantage over over some if I'm brutally honest but I look back and there were some jobs I probably shouldn't have taken because realistically it was a, a difficult difficult time and a difficult challenge with uh, budget and you know trying to br- attract better players that you can do better coaching drills you can develop them and you can improve you know um, on the pitch as well you know some players want to play for you, want to run through a brick wall for you, which will take you so far. But in terms of the quality, if you, for instance, at Sutton, you know, competing in the National South levels at the top end, trying to, and, and players on 25 and £50 a week back in 2005, which um, is tough. <laughs> and as I say, I had one good season and I should have walked after that one good season because realistically, it wasn't going to repeat itself the second year and it, and it didn't, unfortunately. But... Um, yeah, I mean, and that was sort of my managerial career, sort of five or six clubs. So I was fortunate fortunate to be offered jobs, um, you know, so I take that as a compliment. Um, and back then, there wasn't too many people with an A licence sort of trying to sort of go around the non-league managerial sort of a circuit. So, um, yeah, so that sort of gave me an opportunity to, to get job offers, if you like, as well. Yeah. And um, do you think, I'd say the communication of a kind of manager or even a coach has changed from from literally when you were growing up to literally what you see now uh, at you know either at Millwall or literally at some of the other clubs that you that you kind of go around and watch. Uh, well, it's, it's so the game's pushed on and advanced, and there's so many sort of technical people involved in. Um, decision making and, and, and to make the manager and the coach's life a little bit easier in, in, in my day and my time, you were trying to do the lot. You were trying to do the coaching, the managing, discussing wages and on the game, on the match day, set pieces. You were just doing everything, even helping out with the kit. And as crazy as that sounds, you know, it was enjoyable. You get your teeth stuck into it. And um, that was part and parcel of it. Now the manager manages and the coach coaches and there's somebody at, at Wimbledon, for instance, we've got a set piece coach, we've got, or a restart coach, um, somebody that does the substitutions. So the manager just manages the side and you've got a team of sort of scouts and I'm obviously one of them that, that, that support him and look out for him. And again, back in, sort of in the you know early part of my managing, you were doing the scouting as well. 
Um, and when you do go and uh, and watch games, or you you know you get somebody that gives you a lead on a player, I think trust is really important as a scout. And um, you know, if somebody turns around to you and says that they're a good player, you need to sign them. Realistically, are you going to sign them without seeing them? You're not. You shouldn't. Um, so as a manager back in, you know, when I first started, you had to do that as well. You know, you, you, you and it's time. It's time consuming. It's a part time job as well. Um, so you've got to try and balance, you know, a wage and try and support a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. So it's tough. Um, but everybody, I mean, I, you know, we wouldn't be on this chat if we didn't love football. So that's why you, you ultimately do it. Um, but definitely, definitely change for the better now. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Over to you, Sean. Uh, I'm just just having a look at kind of past past times for you and looking at going from manager into the scouting side of mm. things. How did that change your your thought process in deciding players and and clubs that where you went to? Um, I, I was lucky to be asked to go into scouting. If I'm, you know, I always say it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I was very lucky that Ian Holloway was manager at Millwall, who I knew from my time at, at Bristol Rovers, and um, he sort of I was still in contact with him, and he asked me to do some scouting for him, and then sort of my scouting career sort of went from there. Um, it's different being a manager and a, and a coach. I well, I really enjoy the scouting. I really enjoy. Watching players, um, um, and I really enjoy them, you know, especially the younger ones, seeing how they develop as they get a little bit older. Um, but I, I did, didn't mind it, you know, the changeover because to start with at Millwall, I was told which players to go and watch, so they would send me to, to Portsmouth for argument's sake to go and watch Jed Wallace, who obviously went on to, you know, it's still at Millwall, but. I was actually told and I was watching that player and then you've got to try and sort of justify or make a decision on whether you think he will fit into the certain way that Millwall were playing at the time. Um, you know, I think when you're doing your scouting, it, it, it's, it's working close to the manager. I mean, Ian Holloway wasn't there long and Neil Harris took over. And when I was at Millwall, it became a little bit, I know it sounds strange, but it became easier because Millwall played 4-4-2, which over time there's not many teams that actually play 4-4-2 four, four, but he wanted the two wide players to be able to cross the ball right foot on the right side and a left foot on the left <laughs> side and you that's know, all it, for it now <laughs> no it's, it's tough i mean certainly united play that way well to a certain extent but there isn't too many teams that play 4-4-2 four, four, but um and and i think you've got to go and watch games and you've got to gauge the levels once you've understood the levels of you know, the National League, the National South League, Div 2, Div 1, etc., etc. Then, you know, when you're actually going and, and, and trying to watch games, it gives you more of a um, a sort of a gauge, if you like. It's not always easy watching under-23 football, um, but it gives you a gauge of where and what levels you actually think they would fit in. But I really enjoy the, the scouting. I, I, I've done a few opposition games as well, which is a little bit different and a little bit more long-winded, especially on a Sunday morning when you've got to sort of do a report that's originally was sort of three hours. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm more doing player reports now for, for AFC Wimbledon, um, which is good because you get trusted in terms of by the manager. Um, 
and you get trusted in terms of your opinion, which is which is quite nice. Right or wrong, you get some. Unfortunately, you don't always get everything right, but that's why you have to sort of watch them so many times and and try and, as I say, try and gauge the levels. Um, it, but it is uh, enjoyable. It's a credible a credible game in a way with doing the the player reports. I'm doing opposition reports at the moment. Um, and for the player report side of things, going to watch the player three or four times and writing your report up and handing it to the manager and him, the manager agreeing or disagreeing, you lose, you can lose um, credibility over it if if it's not right for for any reason. So it could be a very short career um, if managers aren't trusting in what you're writing. Um, yeah, I mean it's hard, Sean, isn't it? Because you you, you watch, you go and watch games and. Um... You have to trust and back yourself to a certain extent. And, um, you know, you are right in terms of credibility. Credibility is huge. If you put someone in the play, in, in the building that's not particularly um, the right fit and doesn't do very well, you, you you know, the next time you recommend someone, they might not be quite so trusting. But yeah. at Wimbledon, what we decided to do was, rather than have like a director of football, we got like a little football committee so we have the CEO on it, the manager, um, the head of recruitment who does more analysis and does um, stats. He's quite stats driven. And then what they say, it, it's two chief scouts, the senior scouts, albeit part time. And that's myself and, and someone called Steve Boone. So rather than now be trusted with just one person making that decision, it's sort of a group committee decision. Um, and that's the way that Wimbledon have gone uh, about that. Um, you know, obviously the manager, some, you know, for instance, we just signed Terry Ablade on loan from Fulham, um, come from the under 23s. I must have seen him about seven times. The manager hasn't had the opportunity to see him other than video. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's sort of, um, it's, it's brought to the table. We needed somebody who was quick, fitted the right wage packet or salary cap, if you like, because Wimbledon unfortunately haven't got finances to throw at. Um, players, so it, unfortunately we had to become a loan, but I'm convinced they do well, but mm-hmm. I, I, you, you never really know. You're, you're, you're praying and hoping when he gets an opportunity he does do well, but I understand in terms of credibility, you can easily lose, you can build up your credibility, you can easily lose it fairly quickly, um, yeah. but you aren't always going to get it right. It's impossible because uh, you know the manager might not put them in the, fight, in the position that you see them, you know, they might not give enough game time. The kid or somebody could freeze, for argument's sake. You know, you get a 23 player and then you put him in a first-team environment. Never really played in front of a big crowd. Never played when people are, are you know, are giving you a load of grief and a load of stick. Um, and it's all these sort of mental um, things that the players have to deal with that, as a scout, you're not sure in terms of their reaction. Um yeah. We do do some, you know, due diligence and, and find out a little bit about the character and the personnel before we bring them in as well. We don't want anybody to sort of disrupt the dressing room and, and become difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one in terms of you won't get every decision right. You won't get every player signing right. That's impossible. But, you know, if you can get the majority close to being right, then, you know, it's um, hopefully we'll we'll get you uh, get you the next one and the next one and the next one in yeah and one more one more for me is um again looking back at your time at all the different clubs that you have been at um spreading from Tooting and Mitcham to Sutton and 
Bristol Rovers. Does the knowledge of um, semi-pro football all the way up to professional football give you a good kind of basis of knowledge of players throughout your time um, and using that in your scouting um, career going forward? What you mean, sort of networking and, 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 and that kind of thing? And having um, players like in your head that you know that this club will, could benefit from him if you walk into a new club. Yeah, no, you do. I mean, obviously, you know, every time you're out, you're you're, you're bump into somebody or your your network from, and you, you know, of, of, of a list of players and managers and coaches that you've got. But yes, you are right in terms of players that you've seen and players that that have done well working previously or during your time. You know, I worked at Northampton scouting for two years and. Um, Luke McCormick, who, who Wimbledon signed, was was high on our list at, at Northampton. But obviously, I left Northampton, and um, I suggested him to Wimbledon, and Robbo loved him at the time. So that was somebody that you will take a note if you like. Um, may not be for your for the existing role that you're in, but yeah, if you if you go to another club or you go to another job, then you're going to have a, a, a list of players that you would hopefully fit into into a criteria that would um, benefit other clubs. Um, I think you're always going to network. The more, the more you're out there, the more games you watch, the more, you know, the more people that you can actually speak to. Some of them you don't want to speak to, if I'm brutally honest, and some are very opinionated and probably including myself. But, you know, you've got to make your own mind up and, and trust your own instincts, ultimately. Um, but it doesn't hurt to, to get little bits of information, i.e., Injuries, is he injury prone? You know, you might get something that somebody mentions to you that, you know, it might be a character reference, them kind of things. And once you sort of can build up relationships that you can trust, then it's good to, um, it's good, you know, that you can turn to them and, and know whatever they're going to say is, um, is, is credible and, and is honest, which, yeah. as I say, in, in, in football sometimes is not the um, most easiest thing to get out of people. And actually, um, talking about being being honest, have you have you ever spoken to a player as a scout or even as a manager and say, look, you know what, you are you are not good enough at this level. However, there's like other certain careers in football that that like may like suit you. And and actually, how important is it to you to actually be honest with the young young men and women that are kind of looking to get into the pro game? Um, I think you need to try and be honest. I mean, sometimes as a manager, um, and I'm not saying I was in that bracket, but some managers aren't always honest with players because they need them to be around. You know, they might tell them that they're in their plans when realistically they're not. Um, in my own experiences, I, I worked at Fulham. I was in the academy. I was doing my coaching at Fulham. So I was working in the under-14s and under-16s just to, to give you an example. And it's a really tough one for, for young academy players because as a coach, realistically, you you can tell almost by November, January, whether they're under-15 or under-16 is going to be good enough. If they're a long way off, you know, you want to be able to tell them. But we was always told to be uncommittal. So when a parent or um, you get approached by a parent or you get poached, approached by, a, 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 you know, the kid, which doesn't always happen, but, you know, how am I doing? You, you really you really want to tell them the truth. You really want to be honest and open and say, listen, look, in my honest opinion, we don't 
believe that you're going to make that this particular certain level. However, go and do that. But you, 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 they don't at that time. They didn't want you to actually say that. Not until you had the the meeting, sort of in March, April, March time, or whenever it was. But um, yeah, I mean that was always a tough one, and, and and it was always hard because you're going to break the kids' dreams, and you feel as though you're going to be the one that you know, into you know, destroying their ambition. But it's tr it's trying to gauge and get the balance right between being honest. Um, as a, as one coach, and don't get me wrong, you know your opinion might be wrong, and and, and they might go on to prove themselves and have a career. I mean, when I was at Fulham, we released a lad called Harrison Dunk, and I don't know if you know Harrison Dunk, but Harrison Dunk went on to Cambridge United and must have played four hundred games for Cambridge United. Wow! Um, and that was a tough one because he was a real nice lad. His mum and dad were nice. He, he had come from a really good upbringing, but. Um, now, you're saying to him at this time you didn't think he would be at Fulham's level and the kid has obviously gone away. This, I think he was 14 when he left us or left uh, Fulham and he'd gone on to have an unbelievable career. So 400, well, I think it's about 400 games for Cambridge. Um, and the only other experience I can say is when I, I did, um, I ran an academy, sort of an education academy for Carl Shorten, sort of 16 to 19s and we had some good players come through but I always remember one of the lads um, come up to us sort of after two months and he's the only one that's ever done it. And I did it for 10 years and said, I'm not as good as the others. I want to go into coaching. Um, and he was right. He was a little bit away from the others. Um, so he followed me around. He probably learned all my bad habits, myself and Paul Harford for um, two years. We had a, a meeting with his parents and they was all for it. And he's now coaching at Arsenal. Um, he must be 26, 25, 26 now. And I still speak, speak to him, but he's, he's, he's now built his, um, um, his footballing career into more of a coaching side. And he's doing really well. And, and, and for me, that gives me just as much satisfaction than seeing somebody else develop and becoming a pro because he's worked incredibly hard. He's done all these coaching badges. You know, he's um, taken grassroots teams. He's still done that. And, he, and as I say, he works in the academy at Arsenal now, almost on a full-time basis. So, you know, that's um, a credit to him. But, yeah, it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tough environment, football. Um, and it's very tough to make it to the top. Um, and it's very tough sometimes to, to as, a, as, a, as a coach, a manager, a mentor, even a scout, to be honest with players and tell them, look, in your opinion, you don't think they're good enough or they don't think they're at this particular level. But perhaps there should be a little bit more honesty, um, providing, of course, that the support is given to that individual boy, girl, if they get, you know, unfortunately, the um, the, the, the information that in the coach or whoever doesn't think they're good enough. So support supporting that player, and I know there's welfare officers and other sort of people that they can lean on, um, nowadays, which is which is good. Okay, yeah, cool. And uh, and one more question for for me. And um, I'm I'm not sure if it was a slip of the tongue, but when you said approached, you said poached, and uh, and and I was like, okay, let me kind of go down this this kind of line of thinking. Has mm -hmm. any clubs poached any of your players? And literally, how like have you felt about it? And uh, what like do you feel about coaches or clubs or scouts 
literally pinching of a of a club's players? Um, I don't think I said post. It would have been approach, but I'll, I will answer that question. Um, uh, you, you know, I you know, I just want to say like you did say approached, but like, <laughs> but like you said, they, but like you did say poached as well. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna literally kind of go down that line. Listen, in in, in football, let's be truthful. In any levels, you're gonna have people that will be looking at your players without a doubt. There's no, there's you can, um, you know, I'm guessing in grassroots that happens still. Although you'd like to think that. The right scout manager should go through the, the proper channels and go through the management first. Um, you know, if I look at sort of semi-professionals, cause people talk, there's no way, especially these days, the social media is easily to, easy to contact players. Um, and even as a pro, you know, I, 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 obviously I don't know in terms of how the agents work, but I'm guessing they would be poaching players and contacting them on social media. And the same with other managers. Um, this, you know, in terms of Stopping it, I don't think you'll ever stop it personally. I think you can um, try to get and try to build up trust with that particular player, the parents, and um, you know, hopefully they can see what you're trying to do at your particular club that will sort of develop and progress their child if it's if it's a younger one. Um, but in terms of stopping it, I don't know how you can stop it. I think it's even easier to approach. Now than it was when I was sort of younger, if you like. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to manage. I mean, how do you, how would you do it, Jabris? Do you have, have you had experiences of that? Um, well, when I was a when I was a, a lot younger, there was like a lot of clubs that were sniffing around me, and and, and I had to actually bat them away. Uh, and uh, I think for like me, again, I'm I'm you know I'm kind of looking at. My my coaches and my parents to literally lead me in a, you know, on a kind of path of the straight and narrow. Um, and of course, now with with like social media, um, and again, you know, I'd say like that kind of access to information to kind of clubs and like scouts. Exactly what's in voice, you know, it's definitely definitely a lot easier. Um, we we've kind of had like a few discussions, um, you know, within within our group. Uh, regarding you know agents poaching you know young um academy players you know uh, even, you know we're like talking six or seven year old kids that you know wow. that are still learning learning the game um yeah. and again you know sh should there be something in place from the fa um to 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 literally you know well yeah i'd say banned all of you know all of like these and clubs coming up to the you know these um these and kids and literally promising them the world and and again they they can literally move from club to club and then literally all of a sudden they literally fall fall out of love of of like playing football or literally kind of go like down uh, the wrong path yeah i mean for, for the younger element in the academies it's um it's tough i mean they, they should have people within that club that do would look after their welfare, I'm guessing, in terms of professional academies. I mean, grassroots, of, you know, you see, I'm, I'm guessing you still see the scouts on the sidelines on a, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, watching boys, watching girls, and they should have to go through the proper channels in terms of approaching, you know, the manager and building up a relationship and a rapport with that particular club. But, you know, that goes down to, to the, 
decency and the honesty of that particular person. But you, you're right. I mean, the FA probably have got something in place, but whether that is uh, well known or not, I don't. You know, I don't know. But in terms of first team levels and in terms of more of a senior position, then you know. Um, that still happens. There's no way, you know, and I'm sure Sean would, would, would say in terms of you can easily, if you wanted to get a player, you can you can make contact with that player. Mm-hmm. What they should do is go through the agents, but the agents themselves um, can cause you concerns and can cause you problems because they obviously contacting different players and, you know, and, and spreading sort of rumours that so-and-so is interested in your particular player when they're not. Um, you know, and they're trying to promise the world for players, and, and it's very difficult to manage everybody. Um, but yeah, in terms of being poached, it's you know, it's um, and I would imagine the same with managers. Manager, you know, if you're a decent one, I'm sure that chairman and other people will be tapping the, the uh, you know, having a succession plan in place. So if their manager goes or whatever, then they've already lined one up. Um, but I don't think you, I don't think you'll ever stop it. You can see it go through through all of them, really. Coaches, managers, even scouts, if they're doing that well. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a tough one. It is a tough one to manage. That um, it's like for us at Wimbledon, you know, we've got sort of another couple of weeks of the transfer window to, to run, and you know, you're thinking, well, if any of our players, you know, we which they possibly could do, you know, a couple of bids and, and, and we accept one. We're not going to have a lot of time left to get a replacement in, if you like. So you've got to try and do your work now um, and you've got to try and prepare and plan if this doesn't happen. So we're speaking to agents now about other players, just in case. Um, but, yeah, in terms of... It's, I don't think you'll ever stop it, personally. Hmm. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the Ultimate Football Network podcast. Uh, again, uh, thank you to Sean and the founder Barry as well. Please go and like and subscribe. Please go on to the Twitter handle. Actually, before I end, I mean, uh, are you on socials? Um, how, how can kind of people find um, more info about you? Uh, yeah, no, I'm on social media. I'm not the best on it, but I am on it. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and, um, you know, I do Twitter and uh, Instagram. Not, not, I'm not the, uh, well, I'm probably boring if you look on Twitter and Instagram. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, listen, by all means, anyone can contact me. And, and if anybody's got any questions, I, I can only, you know, I'd love to answer them. And I, from my own experiences, you know, I'm, I might not always be right, and um, but I can try to be honest and open with people and advise them, you know, in terms of how I've gone in my career. And, you know, I'm very, I'm really lucky that I'm still involved in football um, and have been since at the age of 14. I say I'm 54 now. So, um, yeah, I, and so I love, love the game as well. So, but by all means, you know, anybody can contact me, you know, in terms of football, no problem at all. Amazing. So, um, again, thank you so much for kind of coming on to the like, podcast. Um, to the listeners out there, please like and subscribe the Ultimate Football Network on Twitter. And uh, we will hear from you guys real soon. Thank you. Cheers, yeah.